This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia. Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for the opportunity once again to come and to to fellowship with you. Um, I think all is right in the world. Notre Dame won. (laughs) Tennessee won. And Bill lost. It's a good day to be in Tennessee. <laughs> amen. 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 So, so thankful for your welcome and your hospitality, for my friendship with, with Bill and, and all of you who serve here at, at um, Cornerstone and continue, continue to encourage um, my heart, um, both um, as an example and indeed um, as uh, fellow laborers and co-laborers in the gospel um, together. Thank you for all you've done over the years. Um, East Point Church has been around for um, 13 years now, and a big part of that has been the, um, the friendship that Cornerstone has had with us and me personally through encouragements and, and things like that. And so... Um, Anytime you're in the Atlanta area, please, please, and some of you have taken us up on this, please do not hesitate to come and visit with us. I'm sure you're going to see some things familiar. You'll see some things different, no doubt. (laughs) But you will see some things familiar. Um, Because Cornerstone has a special place in our heart in East Point. So I bring you greetings um, from East Point Church, bring you greetings from um, my family and bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our honor and our privilege not only to worship him, but indeed to listen to him and to listen to him, to love him, and in loving him, to follow him all the more this morning. And it's our prayer this morning that we would indeed follow Jesus because of who he is, because of all that he has done. So let's pray and ask the Lord, that that would be our heart this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of communion, for the grace that comes to us as we remember the, the body broken and the blood shed. We pray that you would bless these elements to our souls and remind us once again that we are your people and you are our God and you have promised to keep us to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for sealing that promise in the blood of Jesus. And now we ask, Lord, that as we come to your word, that you would make your word effectual in our hearts as we meditate upon it, that it would bear fruit now and for all eternity, Lord. Someone here needs to hear a word from you. Let your spirit minister a comforting, a consoling And most of all, a healing word. We thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I understand you've been going through a series of messages on uh, Philippians. And what I want to do this morning is not necessarily um, take up where the preaching ministry here at um, Cornerstone has been engaged. But I want to do, I also want to go into um, the epistle to the Philippians. But I want to do a general overview of the epistle and highlighting a few things that I think might help you as you continue to make your way through this wonderful epistle, help you as you continue to benefit uh, from the preaching and the pulpit ministry here at Cornerstone as they faithfully and diligently proclaim the word of God from this wonderful epistle. So if you have your Bibles, um, just open your Bibles to Philippians. We'll begin in chapter 2. I won't read any verses at the outset, but we will be looking at some verses in Philippians as we continue our time together this morning. So just go to Philippians chapter 2, and we will get there eventually. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's a wonderful, wonderful day, March 14, 2008. March 14, 2008. I was in Atlanta, and it was an overcast day, but it was going to be a wonderful day. It's a wonderful day because a strong wind blew through Atlanta that evening. Strong wind blew through Atlanta. A tornado, in fact, hit downtown Atlanta. March 14, 2008. Striking the Georgia Dome where the SEC basketball championships were being, were being held. Some of you might have been there. Some of you, I, I, Tennessee was pretty good that year, I do believe. Georgia won, but Tennessee was pretty good. It struck the Georgia Dome. The arena was damaged. The people were evacuated. And the games had to be postponed and relocated. And the news of that strong wind quickly spread across the country. However, that is not the wind that I was most impressed with. There was another wind that blew that night that most were totally unaware of. From that night, just a few miles south of the Georgia Dome, East Point Church met for the very first time. We held our very first meeting as a church. And little, little did we know that God would send two winds to Atlanta that night. One that shook the foundations of the Georgia Dome and another that established the foundation of a church. The church that I have the privilege of pastoring today. East Point Church officially met for the first time on that night. And, and as part of our initial gathering, as, as part of our initial coming together, we decided that it would be helpful if we start a study 
in the book of Philippians. We wanted the epistle to the Philippians to establish the foundation of our community. Establish the foundation of our young church. We wanted this because Philippians was written. The epistle was written to a young church needing to be reminded again of the first things first. To a young church that was going through some growing pains and needed to be reminded what it was to be attentive to the things of Christ. And so this morning, what I want to do for you is just look at several voice verses in, in this wonderful epistle as it highlights what I believe are these elements, these, these first things first. And hopefully, hopefully, I, I hope anyway, that this message will serve as a complement or, or a supplement to the richness of the diet that you have been receiving from this portion of Scripture already. You know, science tells us that there are seven characteristics to anything living. If a thing is living, if it is a living organism, then science tells us that there are seven characteristics to it. There's consumption, it consumes, there's reproduction, it reproduces, there's movement, it moves, there's sensitivity, it responds to outside stimuli. But among these is the characteristic of growth. If a thing is alive, It grows. This is true of the natural world. This is true in the spirit as well. Nothing in life is stagnant. Growth is a sign of life. This is true in the natural world. This is true when it comes to the Christian life. When we are born, in this world, we are born as infants. We must grow into adulthood. We must grow into maturity. Likewise, when we are reborn, when we are born of the Spirit, when we are born again, we are reborn as infants. And we must grow, grow into adulthood and grow into maturity. Paul makes allusion to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, where he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Because the idea is that which has been reborn, born again, is born as a child, has to grow up. The goal is maturity. The goal is adulthood. This is the primary ministry of the church, beloved. The, the primary ministry of the church is maturing Christians in Christ. It's growing up the saints in Christ. This is what Paul says when he writes to the Christians in Colossae. In chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, For this reason, 
Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And he says, this is our prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing up in the knowledge and understanding of God. In fact, beloved, this is why the epistles were written to the church, for the purpose of growing us up in Christ. And, and, and therefore, what we have in the epistles, we have our manual, our spiritual growth manual. And the maturing ministry of the church is defined there in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10, which was Paul's prayer. And again, he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. So Christ gave himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. For what purpose? To equip his people for the works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. That is the purpose. The Apostle Paul desired for Christians to grow up in Christ. And that is never more evident than when he writes to his beloved saints who are gathered in the city of Philippi. Never more evident than in his his epistle to the Philippians. Philippians could be seen as Paul's expose on the maturity of the church in Jesus Christ. What does maturity look like in community? What are the implications and applications of the gospel for the community of the saints? What pastoral wisdom is there available to us as we live and love in communion together? Philippians answers these important questions. So I understand and I greatly appreciate the preaching ministry here at Cornerstone as it is currently going through a series of messages on Philippians. I appreciate it and therefore I want to encourage this effort. I want to encourage you to give diligent attention to it. I want to do that by giving this general overview of some of the important elements that Philippians highlights in the life of the church and thus in the life of the Christian. And reminding us what maturity in Christ looks like. And reminding us in the mature, of the maturity in Christ that we are to pursue. 
Philippians is Paul's own maturity on display. And he calls his fellow Christians to do likewise. And so to read this wonderfully inspired letter is to get a glimpse into the heart of one who himself has learned and has leaned upon the gospel for all of life. And here we read Paul's maturity as he is able to turn his prison into a platform for the praise of Christ. We, we read and we learn that he understands his confinement is not an obstacle to the ministry, but rather as an opportunity for ministry. And in this epistle, we are reminded that while maturity is necessary, maturity is not magical. It is not magical. There are no chants. There are no incantations. There are no hidden codes. It is a deliberate and determined focus upon Jesus Christ. It is a deliberate and determined focus on having the mind of Christ. It is the pursuit of Jesus in all things, above all things. And so you see these, you see these virtues, you see these maturing virtues that will be highlighted throughout this epistle. And the first one I want to highlight for you this morning is humility in Christ. You see that in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now listen, beloved. Humility is arguably one of the most distinguishing marks of maturing Christianity. It is a virtue that is essential in Christian community. Absolutely essential for a growing Christian community. They tell us in real estate that the most important factor is location, location, location. And I would suggest to you in growing in Christ, the most important factor is humility, humility, humility. Humility is seeing ourselves and others as God sees us. No more, no less. It is seeing ourselves as the image of God and as children of God who stand daily in need of the mercy and grace of God in order for us to be those things. In order for us to rightly experience those things. It is seeing ourselves as God sees ourselves. 
It is seeing others as God sees them. It is seeing that we all stand in need, daily need of the grace and mercy of God. And therefore, it is understanding that it's not about me. It's not about me. You know what immaturity does? Immaturity fights and fusses over their own rights. That's what immature people do. They fuss and they fight about their own rights. Nothing matters more to them. Immaturity is concerned with self-defense. Self-defense. What I often see, often too often see today is Christians who have somehow turned Christianity into some type of mixed martial arts discipline. Somehow Christianity has become some new element of self-defense. And we use Christ and the gospel as a weapon to fight and to defend ourselves. You know what Paul says? You know what Paul says? Which is what maturity says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 16? That he was not sent there for self-defense, but he was sent there for the defense of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not here defending my own rights. I am not here to defend myself. I am here to defend the gospel. I am here to defend Christ. I am here for the message of the gospel, which is a message of the humbling or even the humiliation of Jesus. You know that? That's what the gospel is. The gospel is a message of the humbling of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the one whose mind we should have, the Bible says Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he did what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ humbled himself. Why? Not out of self-interest, but your interest. Not out of self-interest, but my interest. Why? Because the gospel is others first. The interest of others matters. Because it mattered to Jesus. That is the mind of Christ. That is the maturing mind of Christ, where others matter. Others matter. Humility says you matter because the gospel matters. And the gospel matters to God because people matter to God. 
People matter. Jesus says, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the mind of Christ. Others matter. Others matter. I never needed the world to tell me that black lives matter. God tells me they do. And that's why they should matter to you. I don't need the world to tell me that lives matter. The gospel says that. Jesus humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, says lives matter. And woe be tied, woe be tied that the church had to have the world remind them that lives matter. You can always measure your maturity on how you respond to the interests of others. Always. Always. Particularly if those interests conflict with your own. Gail Sayers was an All-American football player at Kansas. Yeah, Kansas once at one time did have All-American football players. <laughs> He's an All-American football player at the University of Kansas. Went to the NFL and immediately became an All-Pro running back. And eventually went into the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest running backs of all time. He wrote his autobiography the title of his autobiography is, I am third. I am third. God first, others second. I am third. I am third. Humility is first and foremost other interested, not self-interested. And therefore, humility stands in opposition to the world's ways and our, and our own natural inclination. Babies are born thinking of themselves first. That's what babies do. They think of themselves first. That's what small children do. Our granddaughter, she's uh, two years old, going to be three in a month and a half. And this past year, she was potty trained. She's potty trained. And because she is a natural born liar, <laughs> and she is naturally self-interested, and inclined to have her own way, now whenever she wants attention, or she wants to get away with something, you know what she says? Potty, potty. Potty, potty. And most of the time, she doesn't even have to go potty. 
But she doesn't care what you are doing. She doesn't care if you're busy working on your sermons. She doesn't care if you're behind. Potty, potty. Potty, potty. Now, you dare not ignore that. Because there may this way be the one occasion where there really is a potty potty. <laughs> She's got you over a barrel and she knows it. <laughs> you can't ignore me. Potty potty. <laughs> That's what children do. They care about nobody's interests but their own. The first law of nature is self-interest. Self-love and pride are as natural as breathing. Humility is not natural. It's supernatural. It is the product of growing in grace. It is the product of those, according to Ephesians 5 and 25, who are keeping in step with the Spirit. Or as the Bible says in Philippians 2 and 5, who have the mind of Christ. Who are Christ focused. Who are growing up in Jesus. One mark of maturity here in Philippians is humility in Christ. Another mark is confidence in Christ. Confidence in Christ. Growth and maturity gives us confidence. That's what it does. Growth and understanding create an assurance and trust. And it seems on the outset that that would be contrary to humility. To have this confidence would seem to be contrary to having this humility. However, beloved, God wants his people to be confident. But, he, but the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 that this confidence is not in ourselves. But the confidence is in Christ. The confidence is not in myself. But the confidence is in Christ. The confidence is not in who I am. The confidence is not in what I've done. The confidence is not in my abilities. The confidence is in Christ. And this confidence is necessary for maturity. And growth and understanding creates this trust and assurance. It is confidence that declares to know in whom I have believed, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, where he says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Is that, is that confidence to know that I am not guarding my own heart? I am not guarding my own ways. I am not guarding this. I know in the one I have believed. And I know that he is able. It is that I know in whom I have believed confidence. It is that not even if God does not confidence. Even if God does not confidence. That's the confidence you see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
when Nebuchadnezzar threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace for their unwillingness to bow before him and their gods. And when he threatened to throw those three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace, you know what they said in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 17? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set before us. That's the confidence. That's the even if he does not confidence. Even if God doesn't answer the prayer when you want him to answer it. That takes maturity to say that I'm not going to stop believing. Even if he does not confidence, even if he does not bring the wayward child home, that is the confidence that says, I will still keep worshiping and praising the Lord. That is the maturing confidence. You know what I see too often? It's Christians when they the first rough patch they hit, they head for the hills. The first difficulty they face, they throw in the towel. And I understand because it takes maturity. It takes growing up in Christ to have confidence in Christ when it seems all of your strength is failing. It is the cross of Christ confidence. More important than where I come from is where I am going. More important than what I know is who I know. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. It's that type of confidence. That I may lose it all, but I have Jesus and I am confident in him. That all around me may give way, but Jesus remains my hope and stay. It is the confidence that says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 that I am sure of this. I am confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is the confidence 
with which we live. That's the confidence with which we serve. That is the confidence with which we live in community with one another. That is the confidence that the gospel builds in community. I look at you, whatever you are going through, and I say, brother or sister, I don't know a lot of things, but I know this, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. You hold on. You keep coming. Let us keep worshiping and serving together. We can have that confidence. Because we can have that confidence in Christ. It is humility in Christ. It is confidence in Christ. It is reconciliation in Christ. You do know, I'm sure you know, you must know, that conflict is inevitable. It is. With any household where growing sinners live, conflict will occur. Conflict will occur. And Paul admonishes, in the midst of this growing community, in the midst of this community of faith, in the midst of this gospel community, lo and behold, Paul admonishes two sisters in the Lord to be reconciled because they should and they can be in Christ. Now, I know we like to think of the early church as this perfect place to exist. We like to think of these early Christians as perfect Christians. But the fact of the matter is the early church is no different from us. The church has always been made up of sinners who at times find it difficult to get along. And conflict is inevitable because... These are important issues. And where there are no important issues, there are no conflicts. But the reason that conflicts happen is because people take these issues to heart. And there's nothing more important than taking into heart than the things of God. And therefore, because we are sinners, because we see through a glass that is dimmed over that we can't really see, we have conflict. Now, we don't know what they were fighting about. It was probably worship. <laughs> people always fight about worship. Because <laughs> people always think they know. Don't they, Zach? <laughs> they probably about worship, but it might have been baptism. We love to fight about that. Been fighting about that for a long time. But if they were anything like us, it, would, it was surely politics, Pastor Bill. <laughs> yeah, it was politics. It was definitely some silly, insignificant political issue of the day. And the mature Christian sees conflict as an opportunity for maturity as an opportunity to witness the impact of the gospel. Amen. So what does Paul say? He says in Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 2 through 3. I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yet, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Notice what Paul says. He pleads with them to one be of the same mind, which is the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ, which means to be growing up to maturity. I plead with you ladies, Grow up. Grow up and realize who you are in Christ. And he doesn't just plead with them, but he pleads with his friend and co-worker. Help them see their need to grow up. Help them see that the most important thing is the cause of the gospel, which they have given their life to. Why? Because the gospel calls us to be reconciled and to be agents of reconciliation. Paul calls on both two parties in this situation to recognize their calling in the gospel. He calls on the ones who are in conflict to recognize what the gospel tells them. He calls on those who are witnessing the conflict to recognize what the gospel says to them. The two in conflict be reconciled. You who are watching and see it be agents of reconciliation. Therefore, we all have a part. Whether you're in conflict or you're witnessing the conflict, the gospel calls us to have the mind of Christ and to grow up. But to do this, you must understand what Christ has done for you. You must understand the significance of what Christ has done for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, all this is from God who has what? who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God in Christ reconciled you to God and therefore has called on you to be reconcilers. That's what the gospel does. And mature saints understand this. Mature saints are peacemakers. They're not warmongers. They are peacemakers. Why? Because the gospel in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 is called the gospel of peace. 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 We are agents of reconciliation. We are peacemakers. The mature saints. And maturing saints, understand this. Beloved, mature Christianity does not always avoid conflict. But what the mature Christian does is move from conflict to resolution. Amen. Conflict to resolution. 
Whatever you are disagreeing about, I am sure is important to you. Is it more important than the gospel? Is it more important to you than what Christ has done for you? What God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Is it a better witness to the mercy and the love of Christ than, in the, than is the gospel of peace? Reconciliation in Christ. That's what the mature saints are doing. They are becoming reconcilers. It's humili it is humility in Christ. It is confidence in Christ. It is Reconciliation in Christ, it is contentment in Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, speaking to his beloved saints in Philippi, not that I am speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment in Christ. Have this mind in you that was in Christ. What is that mind? Finding contentment and satisfaction in God. Perhaps nothing eats at the nourishment necessary for growth more so than discontentment, beloved. Discontentment. John Piper defines sin as this. He says, sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. Sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. And at the root of sin, therefore, is this discontented pride. It says, I know better than God how to meet my needs. I know better than God how to satisfy my heart. And therefore, it is a mark of immaturity. It is, the, it is the immaturity that is like a child who wants to stay up all night watching TV and playing video games, but also has to get up in the morning to go to school. Doesn't want to be told to go to bed. Because it is intent on satisfying its own needs. It's a child who wants to eat candy and popcorn every day at dinner because that is its fleshly desire. And it has no other inclination than self-satisfaction. We are by nature discontent. We are born discontent. Contentment is like a foreign language to us. You have to learn it. You have to grow into it. And that's what Paul says, doesn't he? Not that I am speaking of need, but I have learned 
I have learned a foreign language. It is called contentment. I have grown into it. In whatever situation, to be content. The most mature saints I know, beloved, are the most content ones. They find their satisfaction in Jesus. There's an old gospel song that we used to sing when I was growing up. Where it says, I don't possess houses or land, fine clothes or jewelry, sorrows and cares in this old world my life seems to be. But I have a Christ who paid the price way back on Calvary. And Christ is all, all and all, this world to me. It takes maturity to say that. It takes maturity to live by that. It takes having the mind of Christ to come to the realization of that in our lives. Our world is preoccupied with staying young. Every time I come to Cornerstone, I see Lawrence. I'm like, man, you just get younger and younger. Every time I see you, man, how you do that? <laughs> we, pre we just preoccupied, preoccupied with staying young, finding the elusive fountain of youth. And people pay tens of thousands of dollars for facelifts and tummy tucks and hair transplants and implants and cosmic creams and magic lotions. <laughs> and for those who spend their money on all that stuff, I have a news flash for you. Age is a matter of fact. Age is coming. However, maturity is a matter of the mind. It is having the mind of Christ. We all grow old, beloved. We don't all grow up. Growing old is a given. Growing up is not. And I want you to understand something this morning. Christ did not die on the cross, buried in the grave, and rose on the third day so that you and I could grow old. Christ died and was raised so that we would grow old. Up. And this is why Paul says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, that his interest was your salvation and your growth and full maturity in him. Have that as your mindset. Have that as your goal. Find your satisfaction in Christ. In Christ alone. And sing, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. And he is my life.
He is my life. His mind. His spirit. His life. May it be mine. May it be mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that you are a God whose desire is for your people to grow up to maturity in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you that you have given to us all things necessary for life and godliness that we may be grown up to full maturity in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us that we have not always availed ourselves to all that you are and have given to us. But we pray this morning that today would be another day, a new day, when we might see Christ anew and desire nothing more but to grow up in him. Thank you for the mind of Jesus. Thank you for the heart of Jesus. Thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you that all that Jesus has, you have given unto us. And might we grow up in him. In his name we pray. Amen. This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia.